Hi everyone, and welcome to this podcast on diabetes and physical activity. My name is Jan and I'll be your host today. And I'm very excited to have with me Elise Edwards. Elise is a credentialed diabetes educator and accredited exercise physiologist, currently working as a senior clinician at Gold Coast Private Hospital. She has extensive experience in community health, aged care and private practice. Lise also previously worked in disability services in Toowoomba and has been a guest lecturer at SCU and ANU. She presented virtually at the Australian Diabetes Congress in 2020 and 2021 and face-to-face in 2022. Elise has a passion for promoting health lifestyle and loves sharing her knowledge with others. Hi, Elise. How are you today? I'm well, thank you, Jan. How are you? Oh, very good. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Today, we're actually going to be discussing diabetes and physical activity. Uh, We know that a healthy lifestyle of physical activity is important for all and can be especially important for people living with diabetes. And I was just wondering if you could explain the role and importance of physical activity for people living with diabetes. Absolutely, Jan. So physical activity and not necessarily structured exercise programs, routines or groups, things like that, it has a multitude of benefits for individuals living with diabetes. Of course, we know physical activity can assist with improving cardiovascular fitness, muscle mass and strength, anxiety and depression. However, for people with diabetes, the right kind of exercise prescribed for the individual can assist with improving insulin sensitivity and therefore reducing the amount of medication required. Research has also suggested aerobic exercise can improve the stress associated with chronic disease and potentially diabetes burnout. But best of all, physical activity can improve quality of life. Thanks for that, Elise. I guess many people are unsure how to incorporate physical activity into their busy lives. I'm wondering what you do to recommend somebody who's considering initiating or increasing their physical activity. Well, you're right, Jan. There are many barriers to why individuals may not participate in exercise, including time, motivation, access, peer pressure, financial constraints, self-confidence or body image, or just like you said, Jan, just not knowing where to start. Some people may prefer to exercise alone or in a group, But research has shown that individuals establish long-term exercise habits in a group situation, so that might be something to consider. For individuals with other chronic disease, i.e., you know, heart problems or past orthopaedic surgery or they've never exercised before, they may benefit from seeking out the assistance of an exercise physiologist. We prescribe safe exercise as medicine for individuals with and without chronic disease. It would be as simple as setting up a gradual walking program or an individual resistance exercise program at home. But after understanding an individual's goals, we can assist them to put gradual steps in place to achieve this. So for all individuals initiating, starting, or just want to increase their physical activity, it is important to set realistic, gradual goals. That sounds pretty reasonable to me, so thank you for that. In literature and from your experience, what's more effective at helping someone achieve their glycemic goals, aerobic or anaerobic exercise? 
That's a very good question, Jan. The current research suggests that individuals with type 2 diabetes participate in a combination of aerobic exercise on most days of the week and resistance exercise two to three times a week to have the best improvement of glycemic control. They continue into the timing of exercise and they found that just 10 minutes of aerobic exercise immediately post-meal can decrease their two-hour postprandial measures by up to 5 millimoles. The research into the combination of aerobic and resistance exercise is similar in those with type 1 diabetes, but it continues to suggest the support of a healthcare team to prevent hyperglycemic events with sustained, i.e., you know, greater than one hour, of continuous training, regardless of the type. There is also some research to suggest that exercise may preserve beta cell function in patients with recent LADA diagnosis, and the recent research in gestational diabetes and exercise is limited. However, the benefits of aerobic and safe resistance exercise in pregnancy, i.e. for the health of mum and baby, has been widely supported. So from my experience, my patients who participate in a greater intensity exercise, for example, high intensity interval training or HIIT, or heavy resistance exercise followed by aerobic training, tend to have a greater long-term effect on their glucose levels, closer to 48 to 72 hours. So for some patients, they may have to be aware of potential hypos. Thanks for that. I guess the other area I'm interested in, what are the benefits of weight-bearing or non-weight-bearing exercise? Where's the best place to access recommendations and guidelines for exercise in specific populations, i.e. pregnancy or ageing, for instance? So ESSA, or Exercise and Sports Science Australia, they are my AEP accreditation board. They've developed some excellent resources and e-books for a number of people from all backgrounds. So if you just search exercise right ebooks, there are a number of topics including exercise for disabilities, cancer, persisting pain, older adults, men's health, women's health and mental health. They also have specific advice into exercise in pregnancy, older adults and diabetes and exercise. These include fact sheets to read and where to find an accredited exercise physiologist or AEP to help. So weight-bearing exercise is a wonderful tool to assist in the improvement of muscle mass, bone density and muscle strength. However, some people may not be able to manage weight-bearing exercises safely. For example, individuals with mobility issues, foot ulcers or severe osteoarthritis. Non-weight-bearing exercises such as hydrotherapy or pool-based exercises or even gentle cycling on a stationary bike or even seated pedals from Kmart provide a range of cardiorespiratory circulation and mobility benefits as well. Great, thank you. And that's some useful um, information there. Thank you very much for that. Do you have any strategies to keep people motivated in the physical activity journey? Who should be referred to an accredited exercise physiologist? And at what point should they be referred? Motivation is a huge factor, isn't it? I think that it's one of the most difficult things about being an AEP is to encourage people to exercise that don't necessarily want to. Some things to consider assisting with long-term motivation, for example, might be to start small and being realistic. It's not about running a marathon on day one, but gradually building up slowly. Depending on the goal, this could take a number of weeks. 
Another factor is to find something the individual enjoys. There's no point in pushing someone into a boxing class when they prefer to do some laps in the pool. Just remember, everyone is different. Mix it up. Just the same as food, we don't all eat the same dinner each time, so it's important to mix it up. For example, a swim once a week, a walk around the lake twice a week, or maybe even a group pump class once a week. So in terms of referral, anyone can be referred to an AEP. My advice for when to refer would be if an individual wasn't sure where to start, they would like specific exercise prescription, for example, a program, they might be nervous about commencing, or if they've had any specific training or exercise related questions. It's great that there are many AEPs in the community where individuals can get access privately or through Medicare. Individuals with type 2 diabetes are also entitled to an additional eight group sessions through Medicare. GPs can just refer, just search Medicare Group Allied Health Referral. If you're not sure where to refer privately, you can search on the ESSA website for any local AEPs too. Again, thank you for that. As we know, everyone's experience with diabetes is pretty different. And how long they've lived with diabetes, overall health, medications, etc. I'm wondering if you could give us some insight into what factors to consider when giving out exercise advice or recommendations. Absolutely. Everyone is different. The same goes for preference in exercise or even type of training. CDEs often have excellent relationships with their patients and all should be encouraging them to exercise or just simply move more. CDEs know their patients well, so what do they like? Could you make suggestions into trying some new exercise, for example, low-cost community Zumba or dancing classes? CDEs may also provide some fact sheets about exercise and diabetes to empower the individual to think about how they may like to move, I guess you could say. As mentioned earlier, if the individual with diabetes or CDE has any concerns or worries or has additional health conditions, I would recommend referring them for an AEP to provide the right advice for them. Thank you. What experience do you have with people living with diabetes who are on insulin or um, hypoglycemic agent and exercise? And what if advice would you give regarding administration of insulin and timing relative to physical activity? And has anything changed with the availability of insulin pumps and CGMs in this area? Well, I have been an AEP for nearly a decade and assisted many individuals with taking insulin or a hypoglycemic agent and their exercise programs. Monitoring is always key. So now with the CGM access, it makes it so much easier to monitor before, during and after. This has been a game changer, particularly for our patients living with type 1 diabetes. It just takes some of the burden and worry away from exercising and they can even continue to monitor just as easily after. Just remember, readings during intense exercise may be less accurate due to rapidly changing glucose. The effects of insulin on a patient are highly individualised and some planning needs to be involved. But a general example could be to reduce an individual's basal rate by between 50 or 75% or change to exercise mode on their pump about 30 to 60 minutes before or if they're injecting, decrease bolus for their food if eaten within one and a half hours by 50%. 
due to the long-term effects of exercise by up to 72 hours if super intense, due to muscle recovery and uptake of glucose. After exercise, they may need some planning too. If performing exercise later in the day, an individual may need to decrease their basal insulin by 10 to 20% or if injecting, decreasing their bolus for a meal by 25 to 60%. Again, these are just examples. The individual would need assistance with their healthcare team to determine what works best for them on specific training days. Be aware that having the right food pre and post and potentially during are also important factors. Thank you for that. Uh, Could you tell me what your advice is for people when they're sick or unwell? Do you stop all physical activity or do you just reduce the intensity perhaps? This one is highly dependent on the individual. If the individual has a little cold, it actually may assist in the individual's recovery to do some reduced intensity exercise. A gentle walk outside can improve mood, get the blood flowing and assist with fatigue management. If the individual has severe illness, post-cardiac event or surgery, I would not be exercising until you have clearance from the appropriate doctor or physiotherapist. If there is a significant musculoskeletal injury, it's important to have a review with a physio prior to getting back to normal training. But if you're ever unsure, best to err on the side of caution and refer back to the healthcare team. That's good advice. Thank you for that. Um, What advice would you like to share with our listeners Uh, And please include any useful strategies that can be implemented in practice, for example. Firstly, thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. It's been great to be able to chat um, about something that I'm passionate about and hopefully it can help in their practice. So don't underestimate the benefits of exercise and the positive impact that you can make on your patients. You have the power to encourage your patients to make a positive change, whether it be with their medications, their diet, or their lifestyle. If you're not sure specifically on how to provide advice on exercise, have a look through some of the fact sheets on the Exercise Right page. You can give to patients or even keep an eye out for a local AEP you can refer to. Lise, thank you once again for taking time out of your day. It really has been great to talk to you today. And thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. To obtain CPD credit for this podcast, please go to the ADEA Learning Management System at learning.adea.com.au and complete a feedback evaluation. And so until next time, goodbye.